Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to Golik and Smitty. I'm Mike Golik. I'm Jessica Smetana. Welcome to another edition of Golik and Smetty. I'm Jessica Smetana. Mike Golik is out today. You might have heard him on the radio call for the Packers Raiders game on Monday night, so he is not here. And instead, we have a couple guests in his place, uh, and our first guest is here from Metal Arc Media and the Dan Levitard Show with Stu Gatz. It's Lucy Rodine. Lucy, welcome to the show. Is it so weird that I clap for myself? You. Yeah, a little bit weird. No, <laughs> I don't know okay. what to do with this situation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Lucy is like our resident college football expert on the Dan Levitard Show, and she has been traveling across the country, mostly the Southeast, but she is heading to the West Coast this weekend. We will hear about that as well. Um, to go to games and tailgates and and like talk to talk to the masses, talk to tailgaters, do a little bit of like, you know, experimenting with the local flavor. And Lucy, that is the main reason why I brought you on this week was because you went to the Red River rivalry game. So hard to say three times. So fast. tough. But uh, the game is at the Cotton Bowl in the middle of the Texas State Fair. So tell me about all of the amazing fried food that you ate this weekend. I would have called it amazing three days ago. Today, I'm going to call it a regret. I'm going to call it a mistake. (laughs) It's, you know, you think, okay, it'll be a tough 24 hours. It's been a tough 72 hours. Oh, no. All right. Tell me about it. We went so heavy on the fried food because you're at the Texas State Fair. You should do that. So there were a lot of options. They were like, we here are some of the ones we didn't get, like fried beer or fruity pebble pickles. Fried beer. Uh, yeah, I don't know how any of the fried liquid stuff works. <laughs> I'm I'm still trying to understand. I had fried butter while I was there, which I'm assuming is they just put it in a dough ball yeah. sort of Maybe thing. Maybe like it's frozen. Yeah, it was actually pretty good. I would say it was probably the best thing I had. Which, I don't know how it could be bad if it's butter. And, it's and yeah, dough. it's butter. Butter's delicious. Like okay, I, I want to just stop with the haters right now. Butter is good, um, but it Are was like butter, butter haters. Was, I feel like it's there's definitely know, butter haters. Okay, I mean I know there's like mayonnaise haters, but I feel like butter is universally like yeah, of course it's it's good. It's butter. I think people are less, it's, they're like, yes, it's good. But so many people have lost respect for me in the last minute of saying (laughs) I had fried butter. (laughs) I told my dad on the phone and like, he paused and I was like, why are you pausing? Why are you pausing right now? (laughs) Um, Did you pre-Pepto, pre-Tums, pre- Oh my God. My, 
my entire, I wrote like a little purse with me and it was, I had stuff for nausea. I had Pepto-Bismol <laughs> little tablets. I had Pepto-Bismol little like, honestly, they tasted like candy. I was like, this the is chew- The chewable ones? The chewable so ones. Yeah, They're same with the so Toms. Good. The chewy Toms have really uh, caused, wreaked havoc on me because I just want to eat them as a snack. I would eat them all the time. <laughs> and so I brought a ton of stuff to be prepared, um, which I had to use because the plan was to try the fair food after the game. Um, but I woke up super late because we had to be there really early. And I was like, I don't have anything to eat for breakfast. I need to eat. So I had to have a corn dog for breakfast. And not a good <laughs> had corn to. dog. It was like, oh, twist my arm. I guess I'll eat this corn dog. I was looking for any sort of option of like, what could I eat that's that's probably the best to just get me through the next three hours. And I was looking at everything available to me. And I was like, okay, so I can go funnel cake or corn dog for breakfast. And I was like, I'm I'm guessing there's protein in a corn dog. I'm guessing. I can't say it confidently. Yeah, I feel like there must be the the, the dog itself. That's what I would assume. Yeah, but I don't trust it. So I was like, fine, I'll eat the corn dog. And then probably like it was halftime where I was like, I have to go up to the press box. I have to go to the press box and I have to go get a little Pepto-Bismol tablet or things are going to go real bad for me. <laughs> um, it was my savior. We were good. Then afterwards we did like the full fo- food tour, which was fried pickle pizza, fried Oreos, fried butter, the, f- the fried fireball shot, which that's what messed me up the most because it was just a fireball shot. That's they, what it was. I saw your your tweet, and everyone should follow Lucy on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, all of the places to see all of the amazing uh, videos she's been recording at all of these tailgates. But the fried fireball shot, also difficult to say three times fast. Um, it was like a piece of fried dough just in a shot of fireball, right? Yeah, it was absolutely a scam. It was not. <laughs> it was not what I expected at all. It was literally just like if you were to rip off a piece of funnel cake and just put it in a fireball shot. That's what uh, it was. That's cheating. That's corny. I don't like seven that. tickets. Cost me seven tickets. How much for is that? A ticket? How much? Like, a dollar. Okay, so it's seven bucks. So seven dollars, but but you have to do mm. the ticket conversion, and you can't buy it without the tickets. Got it. That's how they get you. Okay, so that's how they got us. The fireball shot itself probably was the the death knell in the fried piece of funnel cake. You probably would have been fine, but it, it was the shot. Is that what we're, we're going with? Yeah. Yeah. The shot, okay. that's when things started to go downhill because I had had <laughs> the turkey leg and the pizza and then the shot. I was like, oh, I feel it. I felt it here and I felt it in my stomach. So I was like, all right, we're just going to keep head. going. Yeah. I felt it in my head. I was like, this was a bad idea. Was any I of have... the fried food good? It sounds like it was all bad. The butter. The butter just was the good. Butter? Okay. The fried butter was good. The I liked the pizza. The turkey leg was okay. Um, I'm not an Oreo person, so I don't know why I went fried Oreos, but I did. Those Um, are good though. I've had those. They were fine. Yeah. The butter, I was like, I hate that this is the best thing I've had. Yeah. Which it was just butter in dough with cinnamon sugar on top. It sounds really good. I mean, it It sounds like you're just eating like a little like cinnamon sugar donut basically. Yeah. That's what it was. Just imagine butter just dripping out with every bite. So in the midst of all of the heartburn you are experiencing, there was a really good football game. Um, Texas and Oklahoma, a, a great storied future SEC rivalry. Um, I think we kind of like we, Lucy and I do a kind of like 12 minute college football preview or review thing on the Levitard show that people, people can check out on, on YouTube and the Levitard show feed usually on Thursdays, sometimes Fridays, uh, TPD this week. I don't know, but yeah, who knows? um, we, we kind of like called it a little bit cause Oklahoma has not, um, 
they've been, they've been a lot better this year than they were last year, but Texas has the, the signature win over Alabama. So they were obviously favored in this, but uh, were you surprised at all with the, A, the result and B, just like the calamitous errors that Texas made in this game? I would say I wasn't so much surprised with the result as I was impressed. So with Oklahoma going into this game, they hadn't really played anybody outside of, I would say their best opponent had been Cincinnati up until that point, but Oklahoma's defense had looked really, really solid. And obviously their offense put up 80 points against, I believe it was Butch Jones and Arkansas state and made him cry. Um, (laughs) So I went into this game, not super understanding where Oklahoma ranked just relatively where Texas, you had a clear litmus test. They beat Alabama. That's a very good thing to do. I was so surprised, like pleasantly surprised by how good Oklahoma's defense is. It's crazy just in the two year turnaround of Lincoln Riley to Brent Venables, how great that defense looked. You can tell he's a defensive minded coach. I was unbelievably impressed with that. Texas having dumb errors always sort of feels like a Texas thing. So I wasn't necessarily surprised with it. I just thought they had gotten a little bit of that out of their system more than normal. Like that was sort of what everyone was waiting to happen against Kansas, where you're like, this is a team that Texas is going to do that against. I didn't expect it as much against Oklahoma, but it felt just like the most evenly matched game. It was everything was happening in end zone to end zone, which was awesome. There was just so much high stakes to it. I thought like, if I were a Texas fan, I would leave pissed off that you didn't burn more time on the clock and maybe upset about early turnovers, but nothing else. Mm, we will talk more about clock management. Um, Rough weekend in, in for the next coaches. But I think I'm with you on Oklahoma's defense. Like, obviously, Brett Venables is known for being a defensive mastermind, but I thought the goal line stand that Oklahoma had in the second half was, was really a pivotal moment in the game. Texas, I think they're – they ended up their red zone success rate being only 19%, which is like bottom bottom barrel, not good. Um, and they just weren't able to score points when they were in the red zone. They weren't able to put points on the board, which is important, but also very hard, I guess, if you're playing against Oklahoma's defense. So my question for you is where do you put the um, probability that we see a rematch in the Big 12 championship game? Like, do you see Oklahoma screwing this up or do you see Texas screwing this up down the stretch? I would lean more Texas screwing it up than Oklahoma will, but honestly, I don't even see that happening. I really do think we are going to get a rematch just in the sense of if you look around the big 12 this year, it's, it's not great. You have Baylor who's probably weeks away from firing their head coach, Oklahoma state who probably should have fired their head coach a long time ago. They do not look good. (laughs) Iowa state, even worse than Iowa at scoring points. Don't know how that's happened. Oh, we need to talk about their uniforms too. Oh my God, why were you wearing... That was crazy. (laughs) I was like, you guys, this is so embarrassing. This is so embarrassing. Why are you doing it? Um, But the Big 12 feels a little... I I would say Kansas State and Kansas are the biggest competition sort of there. Uh, But, you know, that's a Texas team that's already gotten past Kansas. So I don't necessarily see a ton of competition in the Big 12. It would surprise me if it doesn't end up being Texas and Oklahoma at the end, which I hope it does. How fun would that be? I think it would be so much fun. And if the inverse result happens and both teams are 12 and one, it's going to be so fascinating. I love, I, I, chef's kiss. I agree with you. Chef's okay. kiss. Iowa state's uniforms before we move on from the big 12, they had on, um, do you know why they were wearing these uniforms? Actually? I don't That's- even know why. Tell me. I'm going to tell you why, and it's going to make it worse. It's okay. going to make it worse. Please. So this was their their Jack Trice game. 
Um, so Jack Trice was a football player that played for Iowa State who died during a game. Um, he was like kind of like a martyr for for black athletes at Iowa State. He is a very important figure at that university. So naturally, they were like, we want to do a Jack Trice game. And I think it's, I believe it's like the 100 year anniversary of his time at Iowa State. So they had like the cool Ames helmets and they did the alternate uniforms. They just did a bad job at the bottom half of the alternate uniforms. They it looked they looked totally naked. It almost looked like whitey tidy. Yeah. Like it was, it was such a, like, it was supposed to mean so much. Oh, it was supposed to be such a that. cool wow, tribute. Yeah. And then you were like, man, everyone's just no going to look at this and this... think you look naked. Lucy, that makes it, you're right. That makes it 10 times worse. I so didn't even worse. realize why. I mean, we have seen some terrible alternate uniforms in the NFL and, and like less often in college football, I feel like. Um, although I did think Miami's uniforms were pretty ugly this weekend, but a, a lot of people like loved the highlighter uniforms. I think they were hideous, but um, wasn't the ugliest thing that happened in that game. Let's put it that way. Uh, the fact that they were doing this to honor like a school legend and just got made fun of for it, including by me. Um, I, I think I, on Twitter, I called it like the Skims Iowa State like <laughs> legging line because they look like sh they were in shapewear. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's wow. That makes me feel really bad now, but Lesson they had to learned. think it. We won't, somebody, we won't do it again. <laughs> somebody should have stepped up and said, "Hey, this this looks not the best," but no one did, and it sucks because it was a great. It's like a cool tradition there, and it's an awesome just like thing they honor, and they like paint the field different. But it was like, man, what a what an opportunity we squandered here with the with the nude pants. Ooh, okay, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the game of the weekend. Just kidding. We're gonna talk about the Miami Georgia Tech game. Which <laughs> that was is our, game our game of the weekend. Lucy. Game of the weekend. <laughs> Lucy, you recently moved down to Miami for the Dan Levitard show, and and to work with us here at Meadowlark. Um, would you say you were a Miami Hurricanes hater, or had any like distinct feelings about them before you moved here? I didn't think about them. You didn't think about them at all. Okay, so you're like never the Mad Don Draper meme. Now that you're here, do you have any strong feelings about them? It is wild that that is what's changed the most about me in three <laughs> months. I left all my friends. I'm in a city I don't know very well. But despite all of that, the, the strongest change has been how I went from literally never thinking about Miami football ever to actively rooting against them every single chance <laughs> I can get. <laughs> It's something about the fans. It's something about the vibes. It's something about the place we work. I don't really know, but I am okay. I am a stone cold Miami hater. Okay, so what was your reaction? I know you were. You told me this uh, a couple days ago. We were hanging out. You were in a hotel in Dallas. You did not have ACC Network. So how did you experience the ending to the Miami Georgia Tech game? So I was scrolling on Twitter naturally, as I'm doing all the time, and I kept seeing these tweets. Well. I was at a bar before and I kept the bottom line because I kept seeing, okay, wow, Miami, Georgia Tech, really close. So I started seeing stuff on Twitter, pull it up on my phone, watched the ending happen, immediately exit Twitter or the game, went back to Twitter to just see all of the reaction because it was one of those moments where, one, I laughed really hard. I felt it, abs, six pack, it's coming in just from this weekend alone. <laughs> I I reversed what I did <laughs> I was with just the fried say. food. <laughs> <laughs> with laughing so hard at Miami. Um, and then I just kept refreshing and refreshing and refreshing. And it was, there was, there was this moment 
where I where it sunk in what had happened, and it was like, wow, there is a god, there is a god out there, and he because hates of the this. Miami hurricanes, <laughs> and he hates Miami hurricanes. Okay, so for anyone who did not see the ending of the game and has not been on the internet or listened to any sports podcast, because this topic has come up on like non-college football shows, uh, apparently over the last few days, like everyone is talking about what Mario Cristobal did at the end of this game. Uh, Miami had the ball. Georgia Tech called their last timeout. There was under 40 seconds on the clock, like 33 seconds left. And instead of taking a knee victory formation, um, they handed the ball off and the Miami running back fumbled. Uh, they, they ruled it a fumble on the field. They reviewed it. The call stood. And Georgia Tech basically had uh, how many? 26 seconds left to try to either kick a field goal and tie it or score a touchdown. And they did. This Georgia Tech team got blown out last weekend by Bowling Green. There's a whole like, circle of suck now happening happening between Georgia Tech, Bowling Green, Miami of Ohio, and Miami because... I don't even... We don't even get into it. Basically, Miami has a transitive win like and a transitive loss to themselves. It's it's remarkable. Um, I can't tell if I'm the most like shocked by the fact that Mario Cristobal did this because like this is like pretty par for the course for him. Like, they haven't kneeled the ball all year, or the fact that like Georgia Tech pulled off a 44 yard passing touchdown to win the game with two seconds left. I think the most I won't say what Mario Cristobal was. Sh- did was shocking at all because after it happened, you saw a lot of the discourse about, Hey, he hasn't kneeled the ball all season. He never kneels the ball. I don't pay enough. I'm not seeking out Miami hurricane football ever. So I I'm not watching Mario Cristobal's, you know, clock management at the end of the game. So I wasn't aware that he did that, but even with that knowledge now coming in later, I wasn't surprised at all because Mario Cristobal's reputation which Miami probably knew this when hiring. Everyone knows it. He is a really great recruiter. That is where he shines. If you put that man in game, nothing going on upstairs. He, I don't know what is going on with him where he's just in game. He cannot manage games. He cannot manage the clock. It is something that happened at Oregon. It is something that that's now going to happen here. Like there is no excuse for what happened either because it was like, you have nothing to say. You have yeah, nothing to say. I'm with you. And in all seriousness, like I did feel really bad for the Miami players because the camera, oh, yeah. like whoever was directing this game for ACC Network for sure thought like they were packing up the truck for the night, like ready to go home. Like, all right, this is over. They're just going to kneel it out. No, they were, it was a masterclass. They were like going, cutting between like the Miami players crying, the Georgia Tech players like freaking out, so excited all the replays, like the touchdown got reviewed. It was like an incredible ending to a college football game. And it's one of the reasons why college football is so uh, undefeated as a sport, because like if this happened in the NFL, that like the head coach would be tarmacked even at home. Oh yeah. Um, But one of my favorite things was uh, Georgia Tech's first year head coach, Frank Key said after the game, I usually have a pretty good recollection of the game, but what does Will Ferrell say in old school? I think I just blacked out. (laughs) That's what I felt like right then. He could not believe it either. Uh, This is also Miami's fifth loss to a conference opponent at home at Hard Rock Stadium since Mario Cristobal was hired. Um, People on the Levitard show, I think Dan said, this is the worst Miami loss of his life. Um, And you mentioned to me that you 
thought it was funny that he said that because then he just got like quote tweeted into hell about people being like, actually, this loss was worse. And everyone was just talking about terrible Miami losses. So I need to know if you agree with that or if you just like they're all funny to you. They're all bad. It's definitely not the worst loss of Miami's lifetime since Dan has has been alive. In the last 50 years, I can think of five losses that are just as bad, if not worse. He lost to Middle Tennessee State last year. Like, I think we should have a little bit of perspective, but I'm not upset by it at all because, like you said, he was like, this is the worst life. It's the dumbest. It is the dumbest loss that we've seen in a while. Um, But there were way more just, like, embarrassing bad losses that have happened. It's Miami. That's kind of been their thing the last 20 years. Um, and it was awesome because it was just people being like, this loss is worse. This loss is worse. Remember this time? FIU, you lost, yeah. FIU, what FIU. Oh my God, Orange Bowl. <laughs> and it's so, Middle Tennessee State, and it was just so funny because it was just this loop of people like, here are times Miami sucked way more. And it's, it was great. As a spectator, as a hater, I just sat back, enjoyed it. It was awesome. I love how big of a hater you are because it makes me feel like, I sometimes I'm like, am I being too mean? Am I taking this no. too far? Like, do I have any right to do this? Like, it's not like Notre Dame football is having a great season. But you know what? I, I've, I'm following your lead from now on. If, you, if you're going to be a hater, Lucy, I'm going to be a hater right alongside you. Happy to have you. <laughs> okay, Everyone's my, welcome. My last thing on Miami and Georgia Tech is like, they, the fumble that they called a fumble on the field and then reviewed didn't like, it to me didn't look especially like a fumble, but I, I didn't see enough to, I could, you know, understand why they would overturn the ruling. Like I think the ruling on the field was, was the issue more than anything. And yeah, the guy shouldn't have been running it in the first place, but if they had overturned the fumble and Miami had not, you know, forced, had the turnover there, do you think in that situation, Mario Cristobal would have kneeled out the clock for the rest of the game? <laughs> um, I don't think he would have, I think he knows who he is and he's going to stick with it. When, you know, when it doesn't work, try, try again. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Except for it is broke and you're not going to fix it. That would have been the only thing that would have made it better is if they overturned the fumble, Miami still had the ball, and then they called another run play and fumbled it again. That would have been (laughs) awesome. That would have been so Uh, good. We can only hope. All right. The other results that are probably worth mentioning, LSU and Missouri. What a hilariously insane game. Um, my, My favorite press conference moment before the game was Brian Kelly trying to make a joke about bring your Columbia's to Columbia. Not funny. I mean, I, I guess my question for you is like, what's funnier trying to like, I guess what's funnier Brian Kelly's attempts to be funny or. Ooh, that's a great question. I would say what's funniest LSU's defense has reached a point where it's like, this is kind of sad. This isn't funny at all. This is really sad. You have one of the best defensive players in football. This is where you're at. So I would say probably Brian Kelly. I would say him trying to be funny is, it's, it's we're not laughing with you. We're laughing at you. Please yeah. know that. I'm still intrigued by the upcoming um, Alabama-LSU game. I, I, LSU is... They really had no business winning this game against Missouri. This was like, it was billed as like, let's see how Missouri's skill position players stack up against LSU's terrible defense. And it was a great battle until the very end in which Missouri's head coach made some questionable game management decisions as well. Punting, not punting, then getting the ball back on the three-yard line. It was just a little baffling. But um, elsewhere in the SEC, Georgia stomped the crap out of Kentucky 
Um, I don't know, even know what else there is to say about this other than like I, I, Kirby Smart did a Saban. Like you almost lost last weekend and then you were like, yep. I'm going to scream at everyone until we win by a thousand points. He did that on purpose. I believe that he was like, look, uh, it's it's hard for me to make up these liars and doubters anymore. I can't keep saying that people are doubting us because there's no one doubting us. We have to give them something to do it. So he said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna lose almost lose to Auburn." So we so we get the people chirping. So I can print that out, show that to my team, and now we will never lose a game again. I think he did it on purpose. It's like the Riley Leonard like you suck wristband. Oh, hundred percent. Like, we need to face some adversity. So let's almost drop one to Auburn. And it worked. Um, and it worked. It worked. Credit credit to Kirby for getting his team motivated. Um, the other game I wanted to mention before I ask you about the Iowa women's basketball game that you are going to this weekend and also the Stanford-Colorado game uh, is in the Pac-12. Uh, the finale of uh, the Saturday night was this like 2 a.m. Eastern time finish between USC and Arizona in three overtimes. Did you stay awake for the end of this? I stayed awake. I stayed awake for regulation. The fried butter got me at at a certain point (laughs) and I could no longer stay awake. Um, Man, USC is just begging for a loss. They are begging for it. It's going to happen eventually. That defense is terrible. One of the, uh, one of my friends is like, deeply entrenched in the USC message boards, which is, which is bleak, which is very bleak. scary place to be. And apparently like USC fans are acting like this is the apocalypse. Like they were after last, last year, like, okay, we have Caleb Williams and he has to come back for another year. We just have to have a decent defense and we're going to win the national championship. And right now they're undefeated acting like the sky is falling. Um, I'm going to have Gojo on in a little bit to talk about the Notre Dame Louisville game. So don't worry. We were not, we're not ignoring that. I just don't want to make the entire episode about that. Uh, but now USC is going to South Bend to play against Notre Dame. The, the weather looks horrendous. Um, I could see two things happening. I could see Notre Dame making uh, their offense, making USC's defense look like the Legion of Boom, or I could see Notre Dame and USC like slugging it out in an ugly one. It's every time I watch USC play, you are just prettier Iowa. That's what it is. (laughs) You're prettier Iowa. It's you get away with doing what you do because we are so ugly at what we do. And we're so blatantly obvious with what we do. Alex Grinch may not be related to Lincoln Riley, but that's a problem. You have your defense tackling each other. That's not something I've made up. That's something that's actually happened. I've heard that you're not supposed to do that. They'll have to make a change eventually, but honestly, there's there's only a certain point where, like, I do think Alex Grinch is bad at his job, where you have to be like, look, there's a track record here of your head coach just completely ignoring this part of football for his entire career. Eventually, someone's going to have to come up and say, Lincoln, buddy. Uh, okay, before we move on, Lucy, you're going to the Stanford-Colorado game this weekend. Tell me yep. what you will be doing there. What What to expect from the game and then tell me what you're doing on Saturday. Yeah. So Stanford, Colorado, it is a Friday night football game. Um, we're just going to go around, see the, see the fans, try to experience the prime hype. It's something we, we still haven't been to a Colorado game this year. So I really want to see what the atmosphere is like and, and kind of talk to the Colorado fans for the game. I don't expect much. I don't think it's going to be very good. I do think it has the potential to be pretty ugly. Colorado barely beat Arizona state this weekend. And it was, 
pretty disgusting. So I do think that Stanford's a lot worse than Arizona State. I think that Colorado will win pretty easily, but we're excited to go see what the prime hype is all about. And then from there, we're going to fly to Iowa and the Iowa women's basketball team. I'm so excited for this is trying to break the national attendance record for highest attended women's basketball game of all time in an exhibition game against DePaul. So far, just with tickets sold, they've already broken the record. So I'm really excited to see how many people get into the stadium. I think 50,000 tickets have been sold so far. Um, So if 20,000 of you could just buy up the rest, I think that would be pretty sick. Anything else before we go about this college football weekend and what what people should look for and where they can find you, et cetera? Um, So Oregon, Washington should rule this weekend. I'm so excited. We're about to get in the real just like bloody gore of the Pac-12 cannibalizing itself. It's going to start this week. I think it's already started a little bit. Um, You can follow me on social media at Lucy underscore Rodin, and it's spelled R-O-H-D-E-N. It's not spelled how it sounds. Um, And I'll just be out at college football games all weekend, and the Iowa women's basketball team will play Sunday. So if you want to tune in, I know NFL's on, but Kaylin Clark doesn't play in the NFL. So what are you going (laughs) to – so Sorry. She could, though, if she wanted. She probably could. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put it past her. And and speaking of butter, uh, there was a butter statue of Caitlin Clark at the Iowa State Fair. So we're coming there full was. circle now with the conversation. Lucy, thank you for joining. Uh, and next too. up, we're going to have Zora Stevenson from NBC Sports to talk about uh, Notre Dame football. But we'll <laughs> talk about some basketball, too. We're joined now with Zora Stevenson, who is the NBC Sports Notre Dame football sideline reporter. Zora, I am so happy to have you on. I saw you from afar on the sideline in Ireland earlier this year. Um, what what an incredible experience and great vibes. I can't say they have stayed as great. So you're going to be on the sideline this weekend for the Notre Dame-USC game at, at Notre Dame. What have you seen on the sideline that makes you think that Notre Dame fans should feel better about this weekend than maybe some of them do right now? Well, you know, it's going to be a completely different world once I get there. The last time I was on the sidelines at Notre Dame was Central Michigan, and a lot has happened since then. Um, You know, one thing I am so impressed with head coach Marcus Freeman, though, is no matter what is going on, he keeps the same energy like he could easily we have a big meeting on Friday mornings with the coordinators and some of the players and coach Freeman comes and talks to us for like 45 minutes. And he keeps the same energy no matter what is going on with the team. I remember last year we had to talk to him the week after the Marshall game. And he could have easily just like blown us off and been dismissive. But no, I mean, he spends time. He is always gracious. So I'm really interested to see what his demeanor is like as, as we go into this. Uh, obviously different than losing to Ohio State um, and what that game was. But the point of me bringing that up is we've seen this Notre Dame team bounce back. Of course, you know, fighting Irish fans wish they wouldn't constantly have to have like motivation to bounce back, right? Like, why can't we just get over the hump and get that one last, you know, defensive play against Ohio State, make sure we have the the right number of players in the game. And then that's that's a whole nother thing. I'm sure we've already, you know, gone down (laughs) that road. And then, you know, against against Louisville, for me, um, it was the penalties. Uh, I think that that was a big part of the game. And I haven't seen Sam Hartman be the Sam Hartman that we saw. Obviously different competition, but against Navy and and Central Michigan and Tennessee State. Um, I want to, and even you could go back to the game against NC State, right? Um, I feel like he's due. I'm I'm a hooper and we always say like, if somebody's shot has been off, like they're due for a game. Yeah. The department is definitely due for a game right now. Okay. I I like that. You have made me feel a little bit better. One thing that has kind of uh, piqued my interest about this matchup 
um, aside from USC's d- defense being horrendous, uh, is the forecast this weekend not looking very nice. Rain have, and <laughs> cold? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, when you're on the sideline and you have to stand out there in that for four hours, how are you mentally preparing yourself for <laughs> the terribleness? Um, and also, how do you think it impacts the way that this game might play out? Yeah, well, for me personally, it's like, okay, keep hot chocolate on repeat, repeat, just coming and uh, fashion is out the window. Okay, it's all about function. I'm going to have a hat. I'm going to have a coat. Um, I'm known for my my chucks. I have something called a chuck cam. So um, if I can find like a waterproof pair of Converse, that'll be a win for me. In terms of the the field, they do have turf there at Notre Dame. So so that should help. Um, you know, I'd be interested to see, and and sometimes you get the opportunity to watch practice. We've seen some teams do like water drills, right? Where you get like a wet ball and you, Mm -hmm. you work on it. Sam Hartman is such a veteran, right? I'm sure he's played in all different types of scenarios. You go back to the NC state game. I'm just thinking this season where there was like two hours of delay and, you know, there was thunderstorms that came through. I'm sure the, the field was soggy afterwards. I mean, these players know how to, you know, navigate through those situations. Uh, during training camp, Marcus Freeman went to different like local fields in the South Bend area to make sure that these guys could play in in any environment. So, and, and this is coach speak, right? But the other team is going to have to play through it too. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we'll let me let me um, hear the history of the Chuck Cam. Where, when and where did that begin? And, <laughs> and tell me what it is. So I loved Converse for a minute now. I mean, as soon after, like at my wedding, after the ceremony, as soon as I could switch into my purple chucks, I did. And I wore them for the entire reception. Then um, I get into sports and I'm like, all right, you know, sneakers are a thing. Like we can wear sneakers with our dresses. I love it. It's down my lane. Then um, this football season, I have a full football slate. So I do Notre Dame, but I also do Big Ten games. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went to Converse. I was like, what if I wear a different pair of Converse for every single game? Ooh. So uh, we match them with our outfits and I do a Chuck cam every Saturday just to show you what the feet heat is looking like. Is this on your Instagram? Where where can people find the Chuck cam? The Chuck cam. Yeah. So I do it in my stories every Saturday. Okay. And then at the end of football season, I'm going to have a compilation of all of them. So you can see what Chucks I wore at every single uh, stadium. This is why you have so many awards behind you because you are coming up with creative. The Chuck cam is going to win an Emmy. I'm confident in that. Um, okay. Well, I'm still a little nervous. I feel better. I, I, I you should be nervous. I, okay. Thank you. Um, Caleb Williams is still going to be on the opposing team sideline. So when you're calling a game for Notre Dame, uh, on NBC and, you know, Notre Dame and NBC, obviously everyone knows has like a multi-decade long history of working together, but you know, USC fans will be watching the game too. How do you make sure that you create like a kind of balance with your, your sideline reporting? Well, my prep is is the same for both teams. We have the opportunity to talk to players and coaches on both sides. We're going through right now with my producer, Trisha Serber, and we're going through like which questions we're going to ask all the guys. And we have the opportunity to talk to them. Every We just decided every single person we talk to, I may even ask the defense about the quarterbacks. Like I may ask like defensive, like, you know, uh, somebody on defense for USC about Caleb Williams. Like we're asking everybody about every, all the quarterbacks. Um, and yeah, my prep is even. Nobody believes me when I say that, but that is how we go about it. <laughs> I am prepared for both teams. Uh, well, you have to be, and, and this game's different because you know, like you might see 
either team win, probably USC does. Um, this is my me emotionally hedging, but we have seen situations where like last year, Marshall comes back and has like their biggest win in program history and you gotta have stuff on them too, right? Right. No, always. I will say though, I was going back through my archives. Okay. I'm thinking like a Clemson situation, like last year, all the fans rush the field. I have to like sprint through the mob to find Marcus Freeman. Like how amazing would that be at this moment? I mean, and it was kind of the same vibes, like Notre Dame at that point, wasn't going to make the college football playoff. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and I know Stanford. Yeah. Lost. Yeah. And it was, they, then they beat Clemson. It was this, you know, great rejuvenation of the season. Um, it, it's time. Yeah. Right okay. Same part. It was a cold night. It was under the lights. Like, how was that experience for you? I think that's probably, I don't, maybe it's like recency bias, but probably one of the bigger home victories Notre Dame's had in a, in a while, I'd say like outside of in 2020 when there weren't any fans at the game. So what did that feel like for you to have to climb through all of the fans, including like the 50 and 60 year old men who I saw like tearing their ACLs, trying to jump onto the field at the end. Like, what did you do? How do you do like, how do you do your job? That's the best part though. I just keep, especially with like a minute left, you just keep eyes on coach Freeman, like just eyes on him. And he has no idea that I'm just like staring him down at this moment. And obviously he's going straight. And I just have to like, I sprinted because I knew if I waited, I would, I would be in the middle of it all. So by the time I got to him, which was great, but then like, it was like all these people were piling on his securities. Like he was so great. He was like holding people back. Um, <laughs> there were so many people on the field. My microphone started to like glitch in and out. An amazing experience. Like this is to be able to tell stories in that moment and to be able to capture that moment vividly um, is, is one of the reasons why you do this job. And I played basketball and there's like only a small number of things that give me that same adrenaline rush and uh, running and, and trying to make sure you get your interview on time and have the the proper questions that can um, tell the story of the moment. My favorite part is at the end, Marcus just screams into the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> I, that <laughs> is, everybody, I mean, it's, it's fun. It's fun. That, that is like a going down is like a, one of the best post-game photos in probably Notre Dame head coach history is just like him screaming on the mic. I loved every second of it. I'm with you. I, I, you know, maybe the vibes feel similar in terms of like fans and let's be real. Notre Dame has, they're, they're five and two. Like it's not the end of the world. Like things are not, are but patience too when you're, like, when you're a fan, Zora, yeah. you should know this. You've been around the team enough when you're a fan, as soon as you lose that second game, it's like, a combination of like relief, like, okay, now my expectations, I don't have to worry about it anymore, but also like deep depression and despair. Fans and- are not realistic ever. <laughs> ever. Oh, so, okay. So you're saying it's unrealistic that Notre Dame could be seven and zero right now. No, completely realistic. <laughs> and they, I don't like to use the word should because, but they, they, they had every capability to be seven and zero. I'm not you're saying right. that that was, but you know, to think that it's a given and then to think that, because it didn't happen, like all hope is lost. No, like you, you're going to be mad if your team doesn't win from here on out. Right. Like there's still a, there's still a draw to this season in my mind. It is yes. not all over, this but, season. but the fans are crazy. I'm with you. Well, yeah. Well, let's, let's move on to uh, a sport with just as crazy fans, the NBA. Mm-hmm. You were the sideline reporter for the bucks for how many years? Two or three years? Four seasons. Four, Four seasons. seasons. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. Okay. So you, you have a championship ring, right? 
I do. I do have a ring. Amazing. Okay. So Golik and I have barely talked about the NBA since football season started. So I need to briefly ask you about the Damian Lillard trade. How surprised or excited or shocked were you when you found out about it? Yeah. So I'm now in fan mode when it comes to the Milwaukee Bucks. So I was uh, sitting upstairs prepping for my football game that weekend. And all of a sudden, like, of course, Woj Bomb, like the rest of us. And I, my, my job was like, what? <laughs> what? I mean, I, the organization will do anything to make sure that Giannis is in a good place. But, and then I, I see Damon, I'm like, oh shoot, like who's gone? Who's, you know? Um, and to see Drew Holiday be the guy that was kind of on the chopping block, he, he brought so much to that team um, on the court. Yes. Like defensively, you need a good point guard. I, I think we're getting lost in, you know, just having a bunch of people out there and it's positionless basketball, which is great, but you need someone that can get everybody organized, set up the offense. Um, and so Drew Holiday was that, right? He was, he was, he was the captain, the general on the floor and then off the court. Like, I mean, the dude has won team of the year multiple times um, the way he gives back to the community. So that, that was, that was a big loss. And obviously bringing in Damian Lillard is amazing um, especially late game situations, the playoffs, to, 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 the offense had struggled in the playoffs time and time again, because so much of the concentration is, is on Giannis, but who's like the reason that they lost to the heat in the first round last year was because Jimmy Butler went off. Yeah. So who's going to guard him? Like, right. That's the one thing I'm interested to see. Uh, who is going to be that lockdown defender right now? They don't, in my mind, you know, it's remains to be seen. Yeah. Well, I live in Miami and just based off the response of the heat fans, like it was a great trade for the bucks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so speaking of like great guard play, you mentioned you played basketball at Elon. You're, you're really like a basketball player at heart. You watched the first game of the WNBA finals, like me on Sunday and the aces guard, Jackie Young, who went to Notre Dame. Uh, had a insane game. I'm wondering if that, if you think that that's something that is, you know, necessary, necessary to be repeated for the aces to win the series, or if you think the Liberty are going to have to have their own kind of moment like that with a player who just comes out and is lights out in shooting and rebounding and assisting in one of these games. Well, the problem with the aces is that you have anyone, I would say four out of the five players in their starting lineup have the ability to go off like Jackie Young did. And if you would have asked anyone, who do you think is going to go off in game one, Jackie Young would have been at the bottom of the list. They would have said like Asia or Kelsey Plum, mm-hmm. Chelsea Gray. Um, and then you go to the Liberty, they have that same capacity. And you could argue that it looked like Maureen Johannes, who was shooting them one-legged three-pointers off mm-hmm. the bench, was that counter to Jackie Young, but she just couldn't keep it up in the second half. And the aces have the this tendency to go on these huge runs where they get momentum. And basketball is a game of runs. you got to be able to counter that. So if you're not going to be able to hold the aces defensively, and I think coaches will say that's the focus, like defense is going to win this this series, got to be able to keep up offensively. you got you got to pick one or the other. So um, it was a great first half. The first half had me on my toes. I was like, okay, this is the series we wanted. And then it, it kind of went downhill in the second. We have yet to see a neck-and-neck, like classic game from these two teams this it's season. It's crazy, yeah. Everything is going to blow out, and um, the, the fans are waiting. Hopefully game two on, on Wednesday is the time for that. 
All right, I hope so. I, I am rooting for the Aces because of the the little Notre Dame connection there, but I, I also would love to see a, a nice, tightly contested series. Uh, Zora, thank you so much for joining. I will see you uh, from my TV. I will be in the warmth of my apartment this weekend watching the game, um, but best of luck <laughs> covering this game in what will probably be a little rainy, nasty weather in South Bend. Thanks for coming on. Don't freak out too much. It's a long game. I'm yeah, I'm about to have Gojo on and we're going to freak out together. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Gojo, I invited you on as like an emergency like therapy session situation because your dad's out today and I needed to talk to talk about Notre Dame football with an ally. Um, so first of all, like, does our O-line just suck now? Second of all, like, do we blame Jared Parker, the offensive coordinator? Like, who, who am I mad at today? Just please help me with this. Um, you know what? I think it, when you get to these points, everyone kind of has to put their hand up and own their certain part of it. I don't think our O-line sucks. I think, um, you know, we heard in Marcus Freeman's press conference earlier in the week that there were some guys dealing with some injuries. I think it Coog. was Shruth or Coogs. I forget which one of them. Uh, was dealing with a knee and didn't practice a lot of the week. So that kind of explains why they might have been rotating some guys through there and why, you know, our left guard had a little bit of trouble in pass protection during the day. Nine on Louisville is a good player, and and it was a tough matchup there. But, uh, no, I don't, I don't think our O-line sucks all of a sudden. I think we're just – we're a little lost in who we are on offense right now. I think when you've gone through the last couple of games that Notre Dame has – and you've gotten punched in the mouth a little bit. You've gotten hit right where your identity is. Sometimes maybe on the other side, you just try a few things to mix it up to try and see if you can get out of this funk. And uh, I think it's got Notre Dame just a little bit away from its identity where it was most comfortable, really going back to the Ohio State game. Like line up, you're a run to set up the pass team, not the other way around despite who your quarterback is. And so I, I was encouraged looking back at the game, and I was texting you about this because – all of Notre Dame's issues seem fixable right now. Like it's not something that I think is out of their reach to go out here and correct. And against this USC defense, you got a great opportunity to do it. I think you're right. Like I, I don't feel like there is a, a talent gap or anything like that. Like, especially watching the Ohio state game three, three weekends ago. Um, like it's not like Notre Dame is like not uh, recruiting well or any of the things that like you may maybe are blaming uh performance on like 10 years ago right but it, there are certain position groups where like the wide receiver room you play against duke and you're like okay wait wait who who do we even have on this team to throw the ball to um but going back to your point about it being a run to set up the past team how does having a position group like that extremely thin screw up your game plan especially when you're playing against a team that's just going to stack defenders in the box and try to keep you from producing any sort of rhythm with your run game yeah no it, it's a great call I mean obviously it allows you the numbers advantage right especially when you're not worried about like the number one thing any defensive coach will tell you what they're looking for in the game plan is speed guy who's the fast guy who stretches us down the field and scares the hell out of us that way and Notre Dame doesn't really have that guy with Tobias Merriweather not really at a point where he's ascended into that role that everyone's wanted him to Notre Dame you know Chris Tyree falls into that but a slot guy is always going to be different than an outside receiver in a way they affect the defense so Without that, you have teams a little bit less worried about devoting more bodies to the pass game. And so they can stack the box in the run game. They can use numbers to overwhelm. That's kind of what's gotten Notre Dame in some of these short yardage situations too. 
And then, you know, if you're playing a team like Duke is a perfect example, just good personnel, right? We have young guards on our team who are getting better as the season goes along. And Duke had two senior captains playing D tackle that were really good players. Dwayne Carter's a Sunday guy. And so, you know, all of that was the perfect storm. And then, you know, Notre Dame plays Louisville and, and just gets away from a ground game that I think can be effective. You're trying to be a little bit more balanced when, you know, maybe now going forward and you heard the directive from Coach Freeman is, hey, we're going to simplify and get back to what makes us us. You know, this is an O-line, D-line based program. And again, we've seen them play against good defenses and make it work like that. NC State defense is no slouch. There's no reason to believe personnel wise. Notre Dame can't go out there and move bodies against most defenses in college football. And now as the receiver group gets a little bit healthier, hopefully, and you've got some things they're doing to mix up the bag there, that it can be enough of a compliment to the run game to keep you from winding up in that Duke situation. I feel like I inadvertently took a shot at your recruiting class, and I just want to clear the air that that was not my intention. Um, okay, so going back to the O-line, like since you're the O-line expert, um, it, I feel like you don't see O-line players get rotated in and out of position like during a game like that. Is that something that we, we've done before, or is that a little new? Uh, it, it's something you definitely see in certain spots, like some places and some coaches in certain games like to use opportunities to build up depth, especially when they've got guys. And for Notre Dame, right, like Billy Shrouth was a guy that was competing for that starting job during camp. Andrew Kristoffic is a guy who's played starting football for Notre Dame before. So these aren't guys that are totally green or were, you know, freshmen that you didn't want to get into the game all of a sudden. I, I still, you know, in a primetime game in a hostile road environment, it's a difficult ask to have guys go in there and rotate, especially, and my biggest thing with this Notre Dame team is you always, the goal is to get the best five on the field. And if at some point during the season, you decide, hey, the guys that we've been putting out there are no longer, we believe, the best starting five, then it's your job as the coaching staff to, to do that as you see fit. And, you know, Joe Rudolph's a guy who's coached really high-level offensive line for a long time. I'm going to afford him a fair amount of trust in the way that he views this situation. But it's also that fine line of, all right, you want to get the best five out there, but you want to make sure in a season where you came back with veteran tackles and a veteran center – that that communication piece in the middle because on all the double teams and pass protection being in sync with your offensive guards is incredibly important we saw that show up in some games late in this game and so you just want to make sure you're giving all these guys a chance to get a lot of reps together to be able to communicate through things because now midway through the season you are getting to that point with the guys that you had in there and the other players on the line where all right, they've seen a lot of situations together now. They've got a few memories bankrolled in there they can fall back on when things get tough. And so that element of continuity amongst the offensive line is always important, but you know, it obviously doesn't trump making sure you've got the best five out there. Okay, you're being way more level-headed than I needed right now. Like I I wanted someone to come in and tell me the sky was falling and now I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, I I get why Notre Dame's favorite against USC. We're going to win well, this game. This is a get right game." Well, it, it definitely is. And you know, Jess, that was a weird part. You and I were texting before I got to watch this game because I was calling the Georgia game. And based on everything I heard in every group chat I was in during the game. And I was, I was like, like, I'm going to die. I was like, oh, I was, that's what, it felt like I was like, oh man, I'm going to turn on the tape and we're going to look like a total non-compete and we can't block anybody in the offensive line. And I turn on the tape and I go, Okay, we're not that far away. Like, it's one or two things here that were super correctable. No, I, point, I'm like, with you. The thing is, this is a no excuses game coming up. 
the USC game is 100% like if you can't go out and get right against this defense, then we can start to panic about everything going on because you turn on SC at all this year, but most recently in that Arizona game, and their offensive line was stacking bodies against that defense. Like it was jarring to see them go out there and physically put some dudes on the mat the way that they did. And so for USC's defense or Notre Dame's offense, this is going to be the ultimate get right game. I would favor the Irish in that early right now, just because again, I don't believe all our mistakes are irredeemable. They're not massive gulfs, like you said. Yeah. And I think the bigger issue is like, if you do lose a game against a top 10 team now in USC and it's your third loss on the, on the schedule, it, it's, it's much worse than if it's the second and your only other loss is to Ohio state, which was such a close game. So that's why the Louisville game I think is making fans brains explode, but you made me feel a little bit better. Um, I'm still going to rage text you during the USC game, especially if we have like a, a 10 point lead early and then, you know, things unravel from there, which is kind of what happened for Arizona this weekend. But Mike, thank you for coming on. Tell your dad I miss him. I, I hope he comes back soon. I, I'm still a little upset, but a little bit less so. I tried to do my part. Hopefully it helps some.